This is the World Bank's Infrastructure Podcast. In today's episode, we discuss a new initiative to count renewable energy assets as part of a country's wealth. There are many countries around the world that have large deposits of fossil fuels, which are counted as part of that country's wealth. There are also countries endowed with large mineral wealth. And this is in addition to the human and physical capital that countries are endowed with. Countries and people use income generated from their wealth to finance their consumption and their investment expenses. But the sustainability of these expenditures, for example, fiscal expenditures, depends on the size of a country's wealth. Well, there's a proposal to formally include in this estimate the value of energy derived from renewable energy sources such as water, wind, solar, or geothermal sources. As technology is changing and rendering it economically feasible to produce economic rents from these sources, such an idea is attracting increasing attention. But how would this be done and what are the implications? Let's find out. Good morning and welcome. I am Rumin Islam, host of Tell Me How, and my guest today is Jagoj Peshko, one of our lead economists covering environmental and energy issues. He will be speaking today about how to value a country's renewable energy assets and whether these should be considered part of national wealth. Welcome, Jagoj. Thank you, Rumin. Very nice to be here. It's very nice to have you. So let me start by asking you, Why is it important to know the wealth of nations? Normally, we talk about national income, not wealth, what a country produces every year and the corresponding income that people make. So why is a country's wealth important? Could you explain? Yes, because we need to know the annual flows of income, of production, of economic output, as well as we need to know what is the basis that generates this income. So wealth or the sum of assets that we as a country have is the basis that underlies the generation of annual income. So the understanding of the stocks that generates income is important to understand how sustainable the future income will be. It's like, you know, if you are trying to enjoy your annual income as a person by selling your possessions, your house were little by little and and car and so forth, it is only so long as you can enjoy this flow of income. Uh, By the same token, every company uh, has income statement as well as a balance sheet. So are the countries. They have balance sheets incorporating the value of all assets that the nation has to generate the, the future income, how sustainable it will be. And it so happens that these uh, national balance sheets usually underestimate and undervalue natural capital. So basically, you don't just want to eat up all your wealth. You want to have a consumption that is that is sustainable, both from a country and, and an individual perspective. Now, fossil fuels have traditionally been explicitly considered in assessment of a country's wealth, oil and gas deposits, uh, for example. And you are proposing to bring estimates of renewable energy wealth to the discussion of a country's overall position. Now, why is this important? So going beyond the traditional assets like fossil fuels into the renewable nature of capital, 
in this case in particular renewable energy, is very important for policymakers, especially now when we are facing the disruptive changes due to climate change and the low carbon transition. Uh, the over-reliance on fossil fuels uh, can be short-lived. That's why uh, many policymakers tend to over-invest and overestimate the value of fossil fuels and underestimate, hence under-invest in uh, other assets, such as human capital and such as renewable natural capital, including the renewable energy. So it's clear that it's important to understand the value of all your assets. But then why hasn't it it been done uh, before this? Has it something to do with how we actually do national accounting and how we define assets? Do we have to have a different definition? I think there, are, there have been a few reasons for that. First of all, I think the main reason why renewable energy has not been perceived as a big chunk of national wealth so far is that they are relatively nascent and recent and new technology generation technology. Except for hydro and geothermal energy, solar and wind power in particular is the fastest growing electricity generation technology currently, but it has been growing from barely zero for about 15 years only. So until recently, the value of renewable energy has been small and economically unviable so that the governments have not seen much of the value for the balance sheets. And it's also recently when governments started leasing the rights uh, to use uh, renewable energy resources, and de facto, they started recognizing them as balance sheet-ready economic assets. I wanted to know if there were other issues. Yes. So according to the system of uh, national accounts, natural resources can only be counted as assets when someone has ownership rights over them and uh, when they deliver the economic benefits to their owners. So it, it, it implies that if you cannot establish an ownership, it cannot be an asset. Yeah? It's a very um, anthropocentric perspective. Ownership, however, does not have to be private. It can be collective, uh, it can be social. So for instance, in US, the owner of the land owns everything that is beneath uh, that land surface. But in, in all other countries, the resources under the surface of the earth are owned by society that are represented by the government. And as long as these resources are generating the flow of economic benefits that can be extracted by the government, for instance, through the lease of rights to use of these resources, then it meets the definition of an asset in the SMA. All right. But then we go back to how feasible it is to own sunlight and wind right? They are freely available to all. So how do you get around this? You don't need to own the resource itself. You need to be able to um, exclude others from using that resource. And in this way, you exercise your property rights. So by the same token, there is uh, SNA recognizes uh, the radio spectrum as an economic asset just by the fact that the government started selling the rights to uh, use radio spectra in the form of licenses. So in, in this way, the government on behalf of society extracts the economic rent from that resource that in principle is not owned by anything. By the same token, you know, renewable energy, you know, nobody owns the sun, 
but the sunlight that reaches the Earth's surface can generate the value to these persons that can control the use of that resource for economic benefit. That's a very good um, analogy. Now, if natural resources such as oil are, are discovered, but there's no exploration, uh, are these assets counted as wealth then? Yeah, this is a very important question because indeed, you know, the resources uh, of oil, gas and coal, just by the very fact that they are discovered, do not qualify as assets that can be introduced in the government's balance sheets. Yeah, because uh, if they cannot be extracted, they cannot generate the economic benefits to the owner. So by the same token, the renewable energy uh, can be treated as economic asset only when they are generating the flow of economic rent under current markets and physical conditions. So for instance, a remote river with no hydropower generation facilities on it is not an asset, it's, it's, it's not a, a renewable energy asset. Also the air current, the, the wind, which does not hit the wind turbine that generates electricity, is not an asset, or the ray of sun that reaches the Earth's surface and does not fall on an existing solar panel or a panel under construction is still not an economic asset. So in this uh, environmental accounting system, I suppose the value of renewable energy is included in the value of the land, right? Is that as it is for oil and gas? Because once you've started exploring, when you try to buy that land, you're buying the oil and gas as well. So the value of the land should reflect that. But does this work for uh, solar and wind energy? Correct. So systems of national accounts does not say anything about the valuation of the renewable energy. While indeed systems of environmental economic accounting seems to suggest that the value of renewable energy, if it exists, it is already captured in the value of uh, land that is used to generate this renewable electricity. This is the limiting factor, is not sufficiently captured in the value of the land and has a distinct component that is go, goes over and be above the value of land. Why is that? Yeah, because several renewable energy installations are not located on the land. Yeah? Look at the offshore wind farms, look at the floating solar power plants. They are installed either on the water or on the seabed, which doesn't have a, any value of the land. But the same token, even if you have installations that are located on the land, this land is often a desert, like for many solar power plants, or marginal lands, or dry lands that have zero to none alternative uses. That's why the opportunity cost and the value of this land is close to zero. So if you're installing the renewable energy power plant there, the total value generated by this power plant is attributed to the renewable energy, not to the land that is underneath. That explains it. So you are proposing a new approach to value certain types of renewable energy assets. And this approach has actually been piloted in 15 countries or so. And I think it'd be really useful to understand this approach. So could we talk about that? We have indeed developed a methodology to capture the value of renewable energy with the same approach that is used as a standard 
to capture the value of uh, fossil fuels and other minerals uh, located on the surface of, of the earth. So the valuation is based on the concept of natural resource rent. That's why we propose the same valuation method, which is the residual value method, where the resource rent is estimated as the difference between the annual revenues that is earned from the sale of the useful energy, renewable energy, and the annual cost of its production, as well as depreciation of this capital. So you've taken into account all the fixed costs, the recurring costs, which I presume are very small, and you sub subtract that to get the profit in every year, the rent in every year, and then you do what? Well, actually, the fixed costs for renewable energy are quite, are quite significant. That's why it is a, a big part of the cost that have to be deducted from the value of revenues. Uh, and it includes uh, the rate of return on this capital. And then we use it to calculate the annual rent that a renewable energy generation plant creates uh, as an asset. Now, we need to move from the annual rent calculation to the calculation of the value of, of wealth. And that is done by calculating the net present value of the expected resource rents under the expected market and natural conditions. Now, I'd like you to speak a little bit about the difference between economic rents and the profits that companies might make in investing in a particular renewable energy source. For example, if I were an investor, I'm going to a given country to, uh, for a solar project, what is the difference between the profit that that investor makes and the economic rents that you would calculate? This is a crucial difference between the return to nature and the return to investments in power plants or transmission lines. The key difference between the company profits and the resource rent are subsidies and the cost of capital. So subsidies to renewable energy production, uh, by the same token for uh, subsidies to coal extraction or uh, oil and gas extraction, they increase the profits of the companies that are involved in harnessing renewable or fossil fuel energy, but are not increasing the economic grant because from the point of view of society, they are transfers. So at market prices, given existing um, technology, it may not be profitable to extract them. So governments give subsidies or they guarantee offtake prices for, um, for this above market prices. So the company may make a profit, even though there is no economic rent accruing to the country from this exercise. Yes. This applies not only to renewable energy, but it also applies to fossil fuels that are also heavily subsidized in different ways. For instance, producer subsidies and so forth. But also one important difference is that uh, many fossil fuel resources, they generate economic rents only under the condition that uh, external costs related to the damages created by the combustion of fossil fuels is not included in the calculation of rents. Once you include these social costs of environmental and climate change damage created by fossil fuels in the calculation of rents, many of the existing fossil fuel resources, not all of them, but many of them would not create economic rents uh, under these uh, conditions. That is clear. And of course, all of these things, these values depend very much 
on what we assume about the cost to society, the, the costs of technology in the future, etc. Now, could we talk a bit about the numbers that you found? Because you piloted this in 15 countries, and you're planning to expand this methodology to several more. So how important are these numbers? And can you do, and have you done, international comparisons with these numbers? We've chosen 15 countries as pilots, as stress testing of the methodology for calculating resource rents for renewable energy. And sorry, just to interrupt, there are many different types of countries, right? Or are they, and are they small or large countries? How did you choose them? We have chosen rather bigger countries with an established track record of renewable energy generation, uh, because it makes no sense to calculate resource runs in the countries that don't generate renewable electricity or they have done it only recently. So we've picked up the 15 countries that uh, accounted for more than 70% of global installed hydroelectric capacity, more than almost 90% of the solar electricity capacity, both photovoltaic and concentrated solar power plants, and almost 90% of the global wind capacity. So we picked up all the largest renewable energy producers. And what we found is that most cases, the hydroelectricity have generated very volatile but positive resource rents in the countries like Brazil or Canada, actually, uh, hydropower often has generated higher uh, rents than fossil fuels. However, for wind and solar power, uh, despite the fact that most of these generation plants have been profitable under the favorable policies to support them, nonetheless, uh, save for a few examples, they have not yet generated uh, economic rents, at least until 2017, which is uh, the last year for which we have calculated. Is there any difference between wind power and solar-based power? What we found out for wind farms is that a few countries have been able to generate positive economic rents from wind farms because of their electricity market design. When wind farm operators were able to benefit from high electricity prices without using the guaranteed offtake prices through feeding tariffs or similar, then they were able to make profits as well as economic rents to the country. However, the moment that the countries are introducing very favorable support systems for renewable energy, they're increasing the profits, they're increasing the generation rates, but sometimes because we have to subtract the subsidies from economic grants, uh, the economic grants become negative, although company profits become higher. Now, let's move on to hydroelectric energy assets, because we've been building dams forever for hydroelectricity. How about the value of these assets? What do you find? The two key findings were that, first of all, the value of the asset is major, is large. So what we found out that uh, in the last few years, in these 15 countries, the value of hydropower wealth ranged between $1 and $4 trillion on an annual basis. And the second, what we found out by <laughs> the size of this range, that uh, these values have been quite volatile. But first of all, that's a very high value. It is. And as I said, in at least two out of these 15 countries in Brazil and Canada, 
value of hydropower has been often higher than the value of fossil fuels, which for Canada, which is a major fossil fuel producer, is a big thing. But Canada has recognized it because probably Canada was the first country that really introduced the very rigorous accounts of both fossil fuels and increasingly renewable energy into their balance sheet. You said the value was also very volatile for hydroelectric assets. Yes. And this volatility is significant and is very policy relevant. We thought at the beginning that, oh, maybe there is some flaws of the methodology that, that we apply or some noise in the data. But then when we started to assign this volatility to certain external events or to certain market changes, it all became very well explained by the drivers we would expect to, would change the value of rents and the wealth. So for instance, external events such as droughts, such as El Nino events, have been significantly changing the, the value of hydropower assets in many different countries. Often during the drought times, the value of hydropower assets have been declining. Because revenues fall dramatically. Correct. Generation and revenues uh, fell dramatically. Other uh, generation assets stepped in. Uh, and this was the case, for instance, in Turkey in the last few years. But for instance, the example of Brazil in 2014 is very interesting because we saw a skyrocketing, a spike in the value of hydropower wealth in 2014 alone, despite the fact that it was a year of a significant, serious drought in Brazil. But what happened is the combination of the external physical shock of drought and internal market shock of demand, because it was also a year of the World Cup in Brazil. And the World Cup brought millions of people to Brazil, increasing energy demand, electricity demand, given the lower generation and lower supply pushed prices to, to a very high level. So overall rent in this year, despite lower generation, uh, has increased because of this spike in revenue due to the higher prices. So I guess uh, we can think similarly about you know the fossil fuel market, which has also been suffering from volatility in terms of demand or supply shocks, and their asset values would also be affected by this. Correct. But the drivers of the asset value of renewable energy are different than the drivers of the asset value of fossil fuels. For renewable energy, the physical impacts of climate change are very critical. For fossil fuels, the critical factor is not so much the physical risk of climate change, but the low carbon transition risk and the climate policies that can undermine the value of fossil fuel wealth. And we did the simulations of the future value of fossil fuel wealth as well uh, under the different scenarios of future climate and energy policies. Zhegorz, I guess one other important factor that I want to bring up is that fossil fuels are tradable across vast distances and renewable energy sourced power is much less so. You take fossil fuels in you know, tankers to countries far away. Whereas if you want to trade renewable energy, you have to build transmission lines. You can't really carry them on tankers. So they're more restricted to, uh, I guess, relatively more local demand conditions. Is that right? Yes, it is. Although going forward with the development of the green hydrogen that is produced with uh, renewable energy, 
uh, we can see that renewable electricity stored in the form of hydrogen can also become internationally tradable commodity. That's a very good point. Now, let's just talk quickly a bit more about how you derived the asset values in terms of the different scenarios, because I'm assuming you model different scenarios with assumptions for technology, for demand, all of these things which we've just discussed affect asset values. Do you want to say a couple of words about this? The 15 countries that we have covered in our pilot estimates of the renewable electricity asset values were the countries where we have looked at the historical development of economic rents generated by uh, renewable electricity from solar, wind, hydro, and uh, geothermal energy. We stopped at 2017. We started in 1995. But for the 2017, the value of renewable energy wealth was a net present value of the expected rents that we have seen in 2017. But certainly, we knew that extrapolating of the past trends, especially given the impact of climate change and the impact of low carbon transition, can mislead about the expected rents in future. So for that purpose, for renewable energy, we simulated what would be the impact of uh, certain energy and climate policies on the value of renewable energy in two countries. South Africa um, has a lot of uh, wind and solar resources, no hydro. Uh, Angola has a lot of hydro, a lot of sun, but not wind resources available. So what we did, we looked at the number of policies that can determine the future value of renewable energy. One of them being the way in which the existing thermal power plants are protected from the competition of renewable newcomers, renewable new entrants to the electricity pool. We found out that protecting of existing thermal power plant operators by giving them guaranteed offtakes at uh, specific prices under the long-term power purchase agreements have an important impact on quenching the demand and hence the ability of the even cost-competitive renewable power plants to generate economic grants for the countries. So removal of that protection as part of the electricity market reform that increases cost competition uh, has had a dramatic impact of the future value of renewable energy in both countries, pushing the value of renewable energy in South Africa very quickly above the value of the coal assets of that country. And in Angola, the same, pushing the value of uh, hydro and uh, solar energy above the value of the uh, country's gas, not oil. Sorry, this is over the long term, right? No, it's, it's not the long term. We found the major differences even in 2020. The calculations were done in 2000, uh, with the data as of 2019. So even 2020 and 2030, we saw immediate effects of this cost com competition in the electricity markets, and especially if that electricity market reform is combined with the carbon pricing, which redresses the level playing field for the social cost of renewable energy and fossil fuels. Zhegoz, what sort of carbon tax did you use for your simulations? We introduced the carbon price gradually since 2025 from zero and we increased it linearly to a value of $100 per ton of CO2 in 2040. 
Okay, very good. So let me end here because you've given us a lot of food for thought. We're going to need some time to, to chew through it all. Thank you very much. That's been very informative. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, listeners, what did we learn today? Firstly, in order to make assessments about the sustainability of a country's income stream, it's important to understand a country's asset base, its human, physical, and natural assets, or capital. So far, renewable energy sources have not been considered an asset class. Secondly, a country's endowments of any asset, fossil fuels, minerals, or solar, hydro, and wind power is valued as wealth to the extent that it earns economic rents and markets at existing technologies and policies. In this regard, hydroelectric assets already account for considerable wealth in a number of countries. Thirdly, renewable energy companies may make profits under favorable policies, but not necessarily generate economic rents for the country as a whole. Finally, energy market reform, such as having competitive electricity markets and a carbon tax to reflect the externality related to fossil fuel consumption, are both policy measures that increase the value of wealth in renewable energy assets. Thank you and bye for now.